Do you believe in the devil? That might seem like a, a strange question for a Sunday morning, maybe even an inappropriate starting point for a sermon, but let's go with it anyway. Do you believe in the devil? The guy who wrote The Exorcist, a book which then became a cult horror movie in the early 70s, is reported to have said this, as far as God goes, I'm a non-believer. But when it comes to the devil, well, that's something else. The devil keeps advertising. The devil does lots of commercials. You see, because there is so much evil in our world, and who could or would argue with that, some people find it much easier to believe in the reality of the devil than in the reality of God. Alternatively, and maybe particularly in our Western context, there are also lots of people who view a belief in the devil as laughable. It's naive, it's ridiculous, and popular images like this of a red character with horns carrying a pitchfork, well, that just compounds the belief and trivialises the idea altogether. But as Christians who embrace a biblical worldview, we recognise the reality of evil and the ongoing presence and activity of the devil in our world today. Now it is our firm belief that as a result of Jesus, his life, death and resurrection, that the the devil has been disarmed, defeated, demoralised to a certain extent. But he hasn't gone away given up, thrown in the towel, and decided, okay, I'll do nothing as I await my ultimate fate, which is total destruction, which will happen in time. For now, the devil is still on the prowl, still intent on deception, still scheming, as we are about to read in a moment. And therefore, we've got to be on our guard. And so the crucial question for many of us here today is not, do we believe in the devil? Because I'm going to assume that the majority of us are Christians, and therefore, that's a kind of given. We believe in his existence. The crucial question is this. What are we doing to protect ourselves against his ongoing activity and attack? Like, what have you and I proactively done? And it is an active thing we must do. What have you and I proactively done this week to defend ourselves against the devil who wants to mess with our lives, influence our choices, and cloud our thinking? Because, you see, if we're not clued into this, if we're not alert to this, then there's every possibility you will drop your guard. You will leave yourself extremely vulnerable. Or, to use a biblical picture and an idea, you risk giving the devil a foothold in your life. And whatever that means, it's never a good thing. Now, as we dig into this uh, a bit deeper, let me make four further brief comments by way of introduction. The first is this. To start with, there is a sense that even talking about the devil in this context gives him far too much publicity and attention. I accept that. And some of you may be struggling with this. 
Secondly, for some people, this may create an element of fear or undue anxiety. That is not my attention. We are not to fear the devil in any shape or form. The Bible is very, very explicit as to who we are to fear. And it's not the devil. It's someone completely different. Thirdly, we must not get preoccupied with the develop or, or with the devil or develop some kind of unhealthy fascination with him as some do. And finally, we must not blame him for everything that goes wrong or for every bad choice we make. The sort of excessive, the devil made me do it mentality. But with those comments in mind, the reason that we are looking at this issue this morning is because of two things. One, we as Christians must be aware of the devil's schemes. And secondly, there is, as Roy said, a battle. A spiritual battle raging all around us and actually we're caught up in it. And unless we recognize that, and unless we are taking the necessary advice on board regarding the devil and how we deal with him, then we may find ourselves unprotected and unprepared. Far more likely to give in to temptation, and far more likely to allow the evil one access into our spiritual lives and well-being. Now that may sound a bit extreme, Maybe even over the top. Some might think this is just being melodramatic, David, this morning. And yet as we turn to our text this morning, Paul's teaching to the believer in Ephesus and to all believers, including us, is dramatic. It is emotive. Paul uses fighting talk. And therefore, I honestly believe that we must not avoid or neglect this teaching, nor should we reduce its importance. Yes, An unhealthy interest in the devil is dangerous, but on the flip side, so is living in blissful ignorance, or so is becoming blasé about his activity. So if you have a Bible, please turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to read uh, from verses 10 to 18. It's page 1177 in the Pew Bibles, and we are going to stand to read, which seems even more appropriate than usual given what we are about to read. So let's stand together for the public reading of God's word. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armour of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your guard, and after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled round your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, which you can use to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. And with this in mind, be alert And always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Do take a seat. (laughs) 
in the letter to the believers in Ephesus, Paul has said a lot. Many of you will know that he has said some incredible faith-affirming and faith-encouraging things. But as he reaches the end of his letter, there's a finally. There's a something else that Paul realizes he just has to say. And it's this, finally, be strong. And if they were, and if we are going to survive this battle, if we're going to handle the inevitable attack of the enemy, then there is absolutely no doubt we're going to need to be strong. But notice, it's strong in the Lord and in his mighty part. We cannot, we must not engage in this battle by ourselves. We do it not on our own, but in his strength. In his mighty power. And then Paul goes on to tell us what you've got to do to tap into this power. And this is the kind of key line to take away this morning. Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. And here, if you like, the fighting talk really begins. And Paul identifies the enemy. Turns out it's the same one who showed up in Genesis 3. So the devil hasn't gone away. He's still up to his old tricks. He's still doing all he can to undermine God's word. To lead us away into sin and rebellion. Now in light of Jesus who again, quote scripture, came to destroy the works of the evil one. And as a result of what he accomplished on the cross, the devil's power over us is limited. Hear that. Please do hear this. His power over us is limited. His influence on us is restricted. But despite that, and I sometimes think we miss this, despite that, he is still dangerous. Why else would Paul write this at the end of his letter? Why else would he say to Christians, listen, put on the armour of God so that you can stand against the devil's schemes. Why else, for that matter, would Peter write, you've got to be self-controlled and alert because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He's still dangerous. He still poses a tangible, genuine threat. And that word, schemes, is so important. His strategies are well thought through. He's clever. And therefore, evil rarely looks evil until it accomplishes its goal. It's, as someone has called it, it's a baited and a camouflaged trap. As Paul clarifies elsewhere, Satan actually masquerades as an angel of light. Looks great. Very appealing. We don't always see him coming. He doesn't come at you screaming in your face, by and large. And if we're not careful, we will miss what he's attempting to do in our lives. If we're not protected, if we're not armoured up, then we're vulnerable. We are exposed. And if you look at this sentence again, there does seem to be an implication, at least I take it from this, that if you don't put on the full armour of God then you won't be able to stand against the devil's schemes. And I do wonder how many casualties there are. And there is a sense of a wake-up call here. And Paul, 
is clearly concerned that these early Christians would never become complacent. And I honestly believe this wake-up call still reverberates through time and therefore needs to be taken seriously today. The enemy still exists. He is still scheming. And therefore the need to put on the armour of God still applies. If we are going to be strong in the Lord, then we need to get our kit on. See, there is a, a conscious dimension to this here. Put on. You, ch- you choose to do this. It's an active choice. In the same way that we all chose what to wear to church this morning, we must choose to wear, to wear this additional six-piece outfit. Otherwise, there is a strong risk that we will embark on any given day drastically underdressed. You see, and I, I hope this is not too much of a tangent, there are actually two essential designer outfits, according to God's word. Two outfits that every single Christian must choose to wear. This one in Ephesians chapter 6. The other is found in Colossians chapter 3 where Paul says, Clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. Those are certainly five items in that particular wardrobe. Although you could also say, as Paul writes on, that forgiveness is another one. And above all these things, Paul says, put on love, which just completes the outfit. You see, if you and I can make sure that we never leave the house without both of those outfits firmly in place, then I reckon our Christian lives, in fact, life in general, would take on a new look in more ways than one. But what does it actually mean? Because I must admit, I, I, I really... I need it to be practical. <laughs> okay? But what does it actually mean to put it on? It's all very well, those phrases. It's all very well saying that. What does it actually mean? How do I wear these six items? Well, it's a good question, and hopefully we will get an answer before we're done. But back to Ephesians 6. Look at it with me. Because the fighting talk begin, continues as Paul makes it clear. He says, listen, your struggle is not against flesh and blood. This raging battle is not against people. Please, again, hear this. Fellow human beings are not your enemy. Never are. Never are. It's not against who or what we can see. In fact, that's one of the fatal mistakes of modern man, to believe that the only thing that exists is what you can see. Our battle is against rulers, authorities, powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. What do you understand by that phrase, heavenly realms? There is an unseen world that profoundly impacts ours and unless we recognize and appreciate that, we will waste our time, we will waste our energy fighting pointless battles. You see, this world is not the only reality. There is a spiritual dimension to life. These heavenly realms refer to, and I'm quoting the late John Stott here, the unseen world of spiritual reality. That, for me, is the most helpful definition of the heavenly realms. The unseen world of spiritual reality. We are involved in a spiritual battle. There are spiritual forces intent on disrupting our Christian lives, distracting us, diluting our commitment, deflecting our worship, distorting our identity. 
And dealing with this is, to quote Paul, it's a struggle. And therefore, at the start of verse 13, he repeats his instruction. He repeats his exhortation. For a second time, he says, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, and by the way, that doesn't refer to one particular day, but rather any time that evil is encountered. So actually what we're talking about here is a daily thing. We need to be wearing this kit every single day. So Paul says, put on the armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you will be able to stand your ground. And therefore, provided you are wearing the armor of God, you will stand. If you are kitted up, then you will experience strength, stability and success in the midst of your struggle. So let's very quickly look at the six, although some think seven, specific items. Now in terms of what each of these pieces of armour refers to, I'm, stick my neck out, I'm not sure you can simply say, well, the belt of truth means this and this alone. I actually think there are layers of meaning with each item. And so I'm going to offer you one or two. But what I'm really going to encourage you to do is take this stuff away and talk about this amongst yourselves. So the first, the belt of truth. What is that all about? Well, this is, embrace, this is about embracing the sheer truth of the gospel. This is about immersing ourselves in God's truth so that you can distinguish between what is true and what are Satan's lies. Because remember, as Jesus said, Satan is a liar And the father of lies. The Christian message is true. It isn't true because it works. It works because it's true. To belt on truth means to be strengthened by truth. God's truth. And a key part of that is yes. It's reading this. It's engaging with this. It's listening to teaching based on this, to know this, to hide it in our hearts so that we would not sin against God. But it also means, second layer of meaning, it also means a resolve to live live truth and to speak truth in love, which is something Paul has been writing about here. Belt the truth, embracing the truth of the gospel. Live in it. Secondly, breastplate of righteousness. You know, as Christians, we have been made right before God because of Jesus. Our hearts have been changed by the justice and goodness of God. And knowing that, celebrating that, provides a breastplate to protect our hearts. And again, this righteousness that we receive from God, don't have time to do that whole idea justice, but this righteousness that we receive from God then enables us to live what? Righteous lives. And therefore to put on the breastplate of righteousness also means a desire, a willingness, an intent, a commitment to live and reflect the righteous character of God. We are to be people who act rightly. We are to be people who do the right thing time and time again so that it actually becomes second nature to us. Do the right thing. Do the right thing. We have received the righteousness of God. Let's live righteous lives. 
Thirdly, feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Get on your boots. The enemy will do all he can to knock you off your feet. Everything within his capability to knock you off your feet. And therefore, the footwear, you, the footwear you have on matters. A couple of thoughts in this. A decent set of boots or shoes will keep you upright. And so you've got to stand firm. What on this message of peace? But not only stand firm on it, you've got to be willing to share it. That, that's what is wrapped up in this idea. You've got to be willing to speak about it. To go and tell people that peace with God and peace between people is now possible. It's now available. Again, something Paul has been writing about within this letter to the Ephesian Christians. Peace with God is available. But not just peace with God. Peace between people. We've got to be willing to take that message out. Shield of faith. This is about a believing loyalty. A deep trust in God. A willingness to actually commit your life into the hands of God no matter what. No matter what. When Paul talks about the shield of faith, he refers to its ability to extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. You see, those flaming arrows may take the form of doubt. There may be people here this morning and and that's where you're at. Huge doubts. The flaming arrow of despair. Burly hanging on. The flaming arrow of sharp temptation. Like real, serious, piercing, sharp temptation. But the gift of faith. In other words, taking God and his promises and daring to believe them. That, that's for me is one definition of faith. Taking God at his word and daring to believe his word. That's faith. And if we do that, it'll quench them all. Helmet of salvation. Salvation's a gift. It's a free gift that we receive. And it provides the ultimate assurance of protection. We belong to Jesus. And because of his life, death and resurrection, as I've said, and our belief in him... And our trust in him, our daring to believe in him and our trust in him. We have been rescued from the enemy. We are saved. A helmet covers the head. It protects the mind, our thinking. And so whenever the enemy comes and tries to mess with our heads, which is often where he attacks us, in our minds, gets us thinking all wrong. Then if we've got the helmet of salvation firmly in place, then we will remember, who do I belong to? I'll remember the truth of God's love for me. I'll recall my identity is in Christ. And finally, the last piece of kit, not so much a defensive item, more an offensive weapon, is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And at one level, and I want to emphasize this, at one level, this means this. That whenever Jesus was tempted by the evil one, how did he deal with that temptation? He quoted scripture. He quoted scripture every single time and Satan had to back off. And our need, and I know we've been stressing this right through this whole year, right through this whole series, our need to be people of the book, people who know scripture, people who meditate on scripture, people who can use 
Scripture. People who are willing to allow Scripture to shape us. That has got to be the kind of people we are. That's what it means to take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Because, you see, it is a powerful and effective offensive weapon in this spiritual battle. And so, again, question we've often asked during this series, how is your engagement with this? Since last week. So there are six items in the full armour of God, but then Paul injects something else as I close. There's an and at the beginning of verse 18. And so what Paul says next is therefore strongly connected. And Paul turns his attention to prayer. And he says in verse 18, And pray in the Spirit. Let's not get lost in that phrase. Let's leave it. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Or, as Eugene Peterson puts it in the message, in the same way, prayer is essential in this ongoing warfare. Pray hard and long. I love that. Now, some people would say this is the seventh piece of kit. I'm not so sure. Paul doesn't seem to refer to it in the same way. He doesn't refer to it as a specific weapon or an item of clothing. For me, this takes us back. And this answers the question, David, what does it actually mean to put on the armour of God? Here's the answer. That in our struggle, in the midst of the ongoing spiritual battle, in our need to be strong, prayer is absolutely essential and central. And so second question, how is your prayer life? How is your constant, regular, ongoing communication with God? Paul says here that we're to pray at all times. Eugene Peterson, pray hard and long. We are to be a praying people. Prayer is the key ingredient in the Christian life. It's the air we breathe. A kind of spiritual breathing. And therefore I'm convinced that one of the key ways to put on the armour of God is by prayer. We pray it on. And I've heard of some people, maybe you're one of those people, who do this as part of their daily devotions. That they pray on truth, righteousness, faith, peace, salvation. Word of God. They consciously ask God to kit them up for the day that lies ahead. Prayer is a mystery. No idea how it works at one level. But you know something? Prayer is a deeply practical thing to do. And so as the old Christian hymn, Stand Up, Stand Up for Jesus says, put on the gospel armour, each piece put on with prayer. And so here's my final question this morning. When did you and I last consciously put on the armour of God? Consciously. Or is there any danger that we're walking around unprotected, exposed, vulnerable to the devil's schemes? And so in these final closing moments, I'm going to actually create space. And I'm going to invite you, as an individual, 
if there has been a sense of this resonating with your heart, with your spirit, then I'm going to just give create space to allow you to pray on the armour of God today. Let's do that.